open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We uh, have been looking at these sandwiches, this style of Mark to convey an idea, a principle, or communicate something through these three-part sandwiches where a story is started, and there, it seems to be some kind of interruption that's put into the middle of a different story, but actually is the heart of what he's trying to communicate, and then he wraps it up with the, with the last part. So we're going to look at that last sandwich today, and we're also going to finish the Gospel of Mark today. Amen? You guys excited? Let's, uh, let's get into it, and let's pray one more time before we do. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all you're doing in, in our lives individually, in our lives as a church. God, we pray that you would speak to us today. We ask that you would instruct us, show us how we can respond, Lord, to you in obedience, and, and that we would do it fully, Lord, willing to submit ourselves to you and to receive what you have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Where we left off in chapter 15 was the trial and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick up right at the resurrection. Uh, we're going to begin with the verses that we ended with last week. Look at chapter 15, verse 40. There were also women looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the lesson of Joseph, and Salome who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. I've noted it twice. This will be the third time, but I want you guys to note this as well. You can underline or circle this little section that we just read. The Gospel of Mark references and talks about women more than any other book in the New Testament. When it comes to the issues of the day of that day, Jesus made it very clear that men and women are on the same platform. Man is not greater than women. Women are not lesser than men. And they're on the same level. They have the same access to God. And we see during the trial and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it was actually the women who were following from afar. Yeah, they were afar off. They were looking at what was going on. But it's better to be afar off than not there at all, right? And who wasn't there? The men. Where were the men? They were hiding. They were scared. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. But the women they were following, in this, in this story, in this sandwich that we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to see that there's somebody who is even a better representation of what it looks like to be faithful. That's why the message today is, is entitled, Fearfulness or Faithfulness. No matter what you or I think, we're always going to be put in situations in life that are fearful. Who likes to be afraid? I don't like to be afraid. We were camping recently, you guys know. I was, we were sitting out around the fire, and, and the kids were going to bed, and there was a part of the time where I was sitting out there by myself, and I heard something behind me, and I thought to myself, I wonder what that could be, you know, like a twig or something. And then I started to think about, like, what I would do, you know, because I don't care what that thing is. Like, it's a, it's a monster. It's a bear. I take it. I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm going to take it out. And I remember like, you know, thinking to myself, like, I'm not, I'm not scared. You know, I'm not afraid. 
of, of what could happen to me today, what could happen to me tomorrow. I'm just, I'm confident in the Lord that he has me where he wants me to be. And I remember back to a time or, or the days when I was afraid. Things scared me. Tomorrow scared me. Uncertainties scared me. Confusion scared me. I don't know what's going on right now. I'm afraid. But, you know, in Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that he is faithful. He is faithful. And if I believe that God is faithful in every situation scenario in my life, then that fear is greatly diminished. Perfect love casts out fear. And I know that God loves me perfectly. And you know what? I know also that God loves you perfectly. So whatever's happening right now, whatever kind of situation that you're in that would make you or could push you to be fearful, know this, God is faithful and he will do it. He will do it in your life. Who also followed him, ministered to him when he was in Galilee, many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. You can also, if you didn't underline it or circle it the first time that I told you to, you could do it this time, verse 41. This is the only, uh, not this verse, but when it talks about people ministering to Jesus, there's two times in the Gospel of Mark where Mark talks about people who minister to Jesus. Do you know who those people are? Angels ministered to Jesus and women ministered to Jesus. Those are the only times it references anybody ministering to Jesus. It's also interesting to take note of. Am I a minister of and to Jesus Christ? Remember what Jesus said, you give somebody a glass of water in my name, they will by no means lose their reward. Because if I do things uh, for other people unto the Lord, then it doesn't matter how they respond. I hear people complaining or, you know, whining about, oh, I did this for that person and, and, and they treated me bad or I did that for that person. They didn't even say thank you. They don't even care. Well, here's a, here's a tip. If you start doing things for other people unto the Lord, you won't care anymore how they respond. And your reward will be in heaven. Does that make sense? What you're going to get is stored up for you in the future. But if you're waiting for that thank you, if you're waiting for that pat on the back, if you're waiting for that appreciation, you receive your, your reward now. Those women and, and the people who follow Jesus and minister to him, I believe, will also receive a greater reward. Verse 42, Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoned the centurion. He also asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which he had hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, observed where he was laid. This is the middle part of our, uh, our sandwich. And this is the focus and emphasis of what Paul or Mark is trying to communicate to us this morning. So we have this situation of fearfulness. 
They didn't know what was going on. They still didn't get it. We're going to read ahead and see how, how much they didn't really realize what was going on. But then we come across this guy named Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member. This is good to know that not all of the Jewish rulers were opposed to Jesus. In fact, there were, we, we have a, a few accounts of people that were part of the Sanhedrin or in Jewish leadership that were curious and interested in Jesus might being the Messiah. This guy, Joseph, it says, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage. Joseph didn't know what was going to happen by requesting the body of Jesus. He was putting himself in a difficult situation. But he is the first person that demonstrates some kind of faith in Jesus Christ have being the Messiah. And he's willing to take a step out in faith. And we see a level of boldness where he takes courage to go do this thing. And he does it. What could the other council members have thought? What could his family have thought? Isn't that what we all ask ourselves? What other people think about how we live our life? About us talking about Jesus, of us serving in different capacities. You're at church too much. You do too much. But listen, if we're following the Lord, He wants to give us opportunity, not just to serve Him, but in serving Him at serving others. And He wants to give us opportunity to be blessed by that service. That's right, to be blessed by that service. Joseph took a step in taking courage and in boldness, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. When all of the other disciples had abandoned Jesus, when the women who were still following but afar off, they were looking on, while they were still keeping their distance, this guy goes to the front and he asks for the body of Jesus in boldness. And we read about him, we've been reading about him for the last 2,000 years because of the element of faith that he demonstrated. What is it like for us? What is it like for you to step out in boldness and to do something for somebody else that nobody else wants to do? To be a reflection or demonstration of who Jesus was by loving and caring for other people. What does that look like for you? So when he had found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. So these ladies, they didn't stop following. They found out or they saw that Joseph requested the body. He was going to get the body. And this whole time they're following him now to the point where they follow him at a distance to the tomb and see where he's laying. This is how they can the next morning go back to the tomb because nobody else knew what was going on. They were all scared. They were afraid. They were hiding. This is the last part of the sandwich. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices and they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Why did they need somebody to roll away the the door, the rock, to the tomb? 
because it was a huge rock, it was heavy, and they were a couple ladies. Where were the men? Still hiding. This is important. We have three points this morning that I'm going to highlight for you. Number one, the women were fearful and at a distance, but they were still present. Number two, the men were fearful and hiding. Number three, Joseph of Arimathea was faithful even in fear. When we look at our lives, when you look at your life and you're in a scary situation, what is going to be your response? It's going to probably be one of those three things. It's either you're going to be so scared that you want to hide You're going to go in your bedroom. You're going to get in bed and pull the covers over your head, hoping that the monster goes away or hoping that things solve themselves. I think that you understand that some people do that, do you? I know there's been times in my life where I've just wanted to just go in my room and lock the door and shut out the world and not talk to anybody and just hope that my problem goes away. That's not a right response, though especially as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not the right response. There's forgiveness, there's healing, and there's reconciliation. We saw that happen with all of the apostles, all the disciples, when Jesus appears to them later. But initially, are you the kind of person that when you're put in the pressure cooker and it starts to get a little scary, are you the one that buries your head from the world and tries to hide? It's a, it's a, it's a question that you can address You don't have to raise your hand right now. It's a question that you can address in your own heart and and respond to to the Lord. The second, the women, they're fearful, but they keep themselves at a distance. Are you or I the kind of person that in a difficult situation, in a fearful situation, Instead of being bold about stepping forward, believing the Lord, and, and in boldness, taking a step of faith, or are we the ones that kind of just put some distance between you know, us and the Lord, us and the situation? Because while they were still following, they were still looking at what was going on, they, in this sense, they were true disciples because they were still following Jesus, even his corpse at that, this point, because he was dead. There's a point where God wants to bring us closer in those situations. In fact, not just a point, but that's what he does want to do. He wants to bring us near to himself through those scary times so that he can show us and teach us what it's like to be like him, to be a disciple. Number three, Joseph. Here's a guy that we know very little about, but what we do know has been recorded historically that millions and millions of people have read over and over again that even though it was a situation of fear, he was a council member. Could you imagine if the other council members found out that he had gone and taken this guy's body and taken it to be buried? Did he do it himself? If he did, he would be become ceremonially unclean. If he had one of his own servants did it, he was still going to get flack over taking care of this corpse of this Jesus who everybody said was a rebel, which he wasn't. Could he have lost his position on the council? Here's the key. Joseph was more concerned with what? It said it in the text. Joseph was waiting for what? The kingdom of God. And Joseph was more inclined to engage with the kingdom of God than the kingdom of man. 
And I think what happens for us when we're not willing to take steps of boldness, a lot of times it's because we're more engaged in the things of this kingdom than we are in the kingdom of God. And I don't know about for you, but for me, I want to be more engaged and more inclined to the things of the kingdom of God than this kingdom. You know why? Because this kingdom stinks. It stinks. It reeks. It's corrupt. I can try to help things and make things better. I can try to vote for people who say they're Christians and put them in office so that they pass legislation that's according to my ideologies, etc., etc. But it's still just, I'm not saying not to do that, it's still just a part of this kingdom on earth. But the kingdom of God is greater than this kingdom. And Joseph's focus was on the kingdom of God. When we start looking at our issues in life, our problems, what we're going through, through the lens of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world, your life will change. You start making decisions that you wouldn't normally make. And then you too could possibly go down in history. History? History. Hey, you may not think much of yourself, but let me tell you this. God thinks great things for you. One of my favorite things to do is to read biographies and, uh, and autobiographies. I love reading about other people's lives. Grace and I are reading this book right now, The 20, 25 Notable Marriages Throughout History. This is Christian couples and this, this biographer who looks at their marriages and writes about what their marriage looked like, what the husband did, what the wife did, how they complimented each other, how they didn't compliment each other sometimes. And it's fascinating. We're reading people's life stories from the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. They're still being read about because of their boldness in faith, taking steps of faith, and their focus was more on the kingdom of God than the kingdom of this world. And, you, and I don't want this to sound simple or silly, but listen, God's plan for your life very well could be to take steps of faith that other people will see and say, look at her, look at him, I'm going to write a book about them because they were more concerned about the kingdom of God than the kingdom of this world. And the people who are more concerned with the kingdom of this world, they pass and nobody has anything to say about them because they're just like everybody else. There's nothing different. There's nothing separate. And okay, maybe it's not a book. I don't want anybody to write a book about me, especially if they know me very well. <laughs> maybe it's not even a book, but maybe it is, it's just the, just the impression of your life affecting other people in a way that they want to be closer to God because of how you demonstrate what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It happens. I I, I hope and pray that's what my life looks like. 
I want to passionately follow the Lord to the degree where I'm leading others, not like I'm saying, hey, come on, guys, let's go follow the Lord. But, but like Paul says, I'm following Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, as I follow Jesus. And we all get to reap the benefits of that relationship. Joseph took that step of faith was more inclined to the things of the kingdom of God than the kingdom that he was in. And as the women went to roll the the rock away of the tomb, they asked themselves, who will roll it away for us? But when they looked up, verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He he was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. You can underline those verses as well. We'll highlight them in a minute. Then they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Jesus has made certain promises to you. And when you're in that season of fear because you don't understand what's going on, he wants you to remember that he has made specific promises concerning the season that you're in right now. And because of those promises, you should not be afraid either. And we should be in the place where we are able and willing to tell others. Because I can't tell you guys to trust the Lord. He is faithful and not to be afraid unless I trust the Lord and believe that he is faithful and I'm not afraid. But because the Bible instructs it to us, we enter into a relationship with the Lord and experience it. It becomes real. We can talk about it and say we don't have any fear. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. We say this thing at Easter, right? We say he is. I say he is risen. You guys say he is risen indeed, which is great. But the better way uh, in the Greek, the way that it's 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 more specifically translated is he was raised. He was raised instead of he is risen. And that puts the power and the glory and the focus on God the Father, which is what Jesus' intentions always were. It was always about the Father. We're not going to get into the triunity of God this morning, but it's the Son would point to the Father, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We see all the time the references of the Holy Spirit uh, point to the Son. The Spirit points to the Son. The Son points to the Father. He was risen. God raised him from the dead. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you in a Galilee. Why do you think Peter is, is pulled out and, and kind of focused on here in this section? 
he was probably the one that, that forsook Jesus to the greatest degree. He was the one that said, even if I have to die, I'm going with you. And Jesus said, Peter, the, the cock's not going to crow before you, or twice before you deny me three times. And not only did he deny, we saw in that, in that passage, not only did he deny Jesus three times, but the, the last two times, he denies him with cursing. He's in a very bad, difficult place right now. He's probably by himself, not with the others. The angel knows that he needs some special uh, instruction, some special love, you know. At least that's how I know it is with me. When I go through certain things, the Lord needs knows that I need a little extra help with. Um, he, he gives it to me, a little extra instruction. When I'm in a place of starting to get really frustrated or, or uh, upset. That's when the Lord is faithful for me to speak to me. He doesn't speak to me all the time, every day. But there are times when the Lord speaks to me and reminds me something, and I know it's him. And, and, I, and I say, Lord, you know that I needed that. I needed that right now. And Peter, in the difficult place that he's in, we see the compassionate heart of God. Go get Peter too. He's beating himself up and he's all frustrated with what he did and what he said. But make sure that not only do you go get the others, but specifically go get Peter, bring him back because he's going to see Jesus soon. There you will see him as he said to you. This is the thing too with, for you and for me. And, and I have to, uh, it's good to be reminded for me. I'm glad that it's in the text this morning so that you can be reminded as well. Jesus has already affirmed your identity in him. You are his, he is yours, and, and that's all you need in life. But whenever I start to question things in life or get frustrated or upset about things, uh, I just have to remember what he said to me. <laughs> and as soon as I remember what his promises are, what he has said to me, then it changes the perspective. I'm not in that same place that I was anymore. Unfortunately for these ladies, it didn't change them. They were in an emotional state. And you and I both know what it's like when a woman's in an emotional state. You know what I'm saying? Just saying, like, no offense, okay? They were in an emotional state. I was just kidding, girls. I'm really sorry. Are we cool? <laughs> Too late. Busted. In this state that they're in, whatever the case may be, even the word is spoken to them, hey, he said this to you, be reminded of this thing. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and when they had heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, they did not believe. Here's a woman who was completely broken at, a, at this one time in her life. You know how broken she was? She was possessed by seven demons. <laughs> if that's not brokenness, I don't know what is. She was a mess. And Jesus casted these seven demons out of her, restored her life, like in a way that, that, that she couldn't even stand here and tell us today 
the restoration that happened in her life by coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. In, in Jewish history, in Jewish culture, uh, a woman could not be a witness in a court of law. Women were not allowed to be, uh, have testimonies against people or to witness of certain things. So here's the thing. In the early days, they wanted to say that this was a hoax and it was a story that the disciples came up with. But here's the thing, again, if, if it was a hoax, they, would have, they should have been able to come up with a better one than somebody who should not have been able to witness or testify that something happened and that she was the first person that saw Jesus before all the men did. In fact, if they were trying to be really clever and this whole scenario did play out the way that it did, they might have even have said, let's not say that, Mary, you were the first one that saw Jesus. Let's just say that he appeared to all of us, okay, you know, just to, to quell any doubts or anything like that. But in God's economy, that's not how it works. God doesn't say, I want the appearance to be good, so I'll do what I have to do to reach these people. I'm going to appear to the one who had the faith and was seeking me, just like Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me if you look for me with all of your heart. And who was the one that was seeking for Jesus? Mary. And the other ladies as well. But Mary was in a place, I believe, that she was seeking Jesus more than anybody else, and it was her, it was she that he first appeared to. What a glorious testimony. If you have any doubts or concerns about whether Jesus is going to appear to you if you seek him, let me assure you this morning that uh, don't have any doubts. If you seek the Lord, if you say, God, I want to know who you are, this is what I share my testimony, you know, here and there with you guys. I always go back to that, that night. I was 16 years old, laying on my, my queen-size waterbed in my, in my bedroom, and, and I remember to this day praying the prayer and saying, God, I just want to know who you are. I don't care what anybody else has to say. I don't care what religious institution I'm a part of right now. I just, I don't want any of that below. I just want to know who you are. And when I look back at my life, it was at that point that there was a spark. And God says, you want to know me? Find me. Come seek me. Look for me. And he started to reveal himself to me, little by little, and then big things, and then little things, and just it started just coming together. So I'm telling you this morning, whether you're a seasoned believer, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, whether you're in a slump right now, whether you, you've never walked with the Lord, and, and today maybe you're thinking about, I, I want to know who God is too. Know this, guaranteed, 100% guaranteed, that if you seek him, he will reveal himself to you. And he will continue to reveal himself to you as you continue to seek him. Here's the tough part. Seeking Jesus means that I'm more willing to be submitted to and to focus on the things of the kingdom of God than the kingdom of man. And when I do that, my heart is aligned with God and he's able to, ha to have me in a place where he can reveal himself to me. So whatever's going on, just say, God, I need you. I want you. I want to know you better on a deeper level. Could you imagine the God of eternity? You can never exhaust the knowledge of the God of all eternity. We're going to be learning about him for forever, for the rest of eternity. 
How much can you learn now? How much can you seek and have him reveal himself to you now before you even enter into that eternal situation? Seek him just like Mary did and you'll find him. He will reveal himself to you. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. They're struggling right now. It's a hard time. They were fully assured that Jesus was who they thought he should be, which was completely different. And he even told them in plain language. He told them, I have to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to come see you again after I raise from the dead. And they still are in this place of, of disbelief, of uh, misery, because things didn't turn out the way that they want them to. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Man, Jesus is appearing to all these people. It's almost like he's doing it on purpose. He's delaying revealing himself to the disciples because he wants them to believe the report of the others. He wants them to be provoked to the words that he spoke to them before that he was going to raise from the dead. And we see three different instances of Jesus revealing himself to the people, first through Mary, and she was faithful to tell them they did not believe. Then through these men on the road, they were faithful to go and tell them they still did not believe. Then it comes to the point in verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen after he had risen. Thomas gets a bad rap, you know, doubting Thomas. Unless I put my finger through his hands and, and touch the scar on his side, I won't believe. Well, guess what? Newsflash. None of them believed. None of them believed until Jesus appeared to them in front of them and said, here I am. What is wrong with you guys? No, seriously. What is wrong with you guys? He rebuked them. For their hardness of hearts. I think sometimes in life we're in situations that we don't think Jesus cares about for us. And there's a lack of faith that happens. And we can respond the same way in unbelief towards God that they did. But Jesus wants you to know. He wants me to know. He wants us to remember that he's for us that he's going to show up in the situation. We're worried and concerned about, you know, how we're going to make ends meet. We need to get a new job or, or, or this, this thing's happening and, and the time is ticking and before you know it, it's going to be here. Stop it. Don't function in unbelief. It's sin. And if you start to recognize or notice that you have a hardened heart toward the Lord about something, Take it to him. He's got a big hammer. <sighs> One of my favorite verses in the, you know, about trials and difficulty. You can fall on the rock and be broken, or you can allow the rock to fall on you and be ground to powder. There's going to come times, there's going to come seasons of humbling in our lives. Everybody goes through it. You and I can choose to fall on the rock and be broken. Because what, what God breaks, 
he, he also heals. He tears down to build back up. It's never permanent. It has its purpose. And here's the thing. If it is pride, if it's the hardness of heart that is prohibiting us from just being in a short season of brokenness, make no mistake, I've been there before. Trust me. This isn't just reading the Bible. I've been there before. I have had the opportunity to fall on the rock and be broken, and I would not do it, and the rock fell on me. (laughs) And he's still faithful to gather up the pieces, to put his Holy Spirit glue, put it back together, and it always ends up being better than it was before. My life is always better than it was before that humbling it's worth it. And, and trust me, if you're younger or you haven't been through a season like that in your life, you're, you're going to. <laughs> it, I, I don't, I don't want to be mean, but we all have to go through it. How are we going to respond in faith to situations that happen through our lives? Are we going to be those who run and hide, ostrich head in the sand? This isn't happening to me. I refuse to accept it. Are we going to be those who, who follow from a distance at arm's length? Are we those in boldness that take a step forward and say, in, in the name of the kingdom of God, I believe his promises. I believe what he spoke and see that manifestation happen in your life. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We had a special service on Wednesday that I went for like three hours, and I'm sorry to everybody again that was there. But we, we focused on missions and what God's mission is. This is what God's mission is, that everybody would hear, at least hear, at least hear the good news. And it's our job, it's our privilege to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to take him wherever we're at, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Right now, you're in Jerusalem. You're in Las Vegas. Take Jesus to work. Take Jesus to the gas station. Take Jesus to the grocery store. Take Jesus wherever you go in whatever relationship you have so that you can give Jesus to them. And then in that faithfulness, maybe Jesus will take you to Judea or Samaria or to Ethiopia to continue to give 
people Jesus. Here's the gospel in the, the shortest form probably in the New Testament. Just very clearly, no extra words. Take the gospel to every creature, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then these signs will follow those who believe. The power of God is manifested in different situations as a sign for people to be able to come to faith. Our focus isn't on the miraculous. You know what a sign is, right? What's a sign? It's just like a, a sign, you know? It says, I'm, I have a big sign that says Tim. So that it's a sign that, that I'm Tim because my sign says Tim. A sign is something that points to something. If you're driving down the road, you see a sign. You know, Las Vegas, 100 miles, you're almost there, or whatever the case may be. It's a sign. It's about the destination. The signs that, that God allows in our lives, and he still does these signs and many others to testify of himself, the signs are always to point people to Jesus, not point people to churches or point people to themselves or point people to a, a big problem today, experiences, or point people to something else. The signs always point to Jesus, always. Some people ask, you know, how come these particular signs don't happen today? How do you know? As Americans, we've got everything laid out for us. We've got double, triple cover insurances and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff preparing for tomorrow just in case anything might happen, you know. We We kind of plan God out of it. But there's people around the world who don't have those luxuries. I'm not trying to, you know, be mean to you guys either. It's just a matter of fact. There's people around the world that don't have those privileges. And they're in a place where, you know, they don't have uh, uh, insurance to pay for the illness they're going through. And God wants to demonstrate who he is through that situation. And he heals them. And I've seen people be healed before. Or they're in places, you know, in the bush where they need certain things and they don't have them and they pray and God gives it to them. I feel like for us, again, you know, uh, we have everything we need. We have everything we want. And then we ask God later, you know, God, could you help me with this thing? I'm not saying that that insurances and and that kind of thing is bad, that you shouldn't have them. But I'm saying in your planning, make sure that you don't plan out God or even... Think of it this way. Put yourself in a situation where God can manifest those signs through you as a demonstration of faith to others. Come to Croatia with us next year. Come to Ethiopia with us next summer. Put yourself in a position where you're more dependent on the Lord and you're more hands-off loose-fisted with things. You know why? Not just because you chose to, but because there's some situations that you're in that you can't do anything. And, and, and it's scary for us to be out of complete control. But then it allows, it facilitates God to manifest himself in a way that he couldn't otherwise. Does that make sense? Place ourselves in those positions. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. 
Father God, we thank you for this gospel that we were able to go through as a church, the gospel of Mark. What a blessing it was for us. You don't pull any punches. You let us know how it is. And God, we, we thank you for that. We thank you for addressing the issues of our heart. And we pray that as you continue to address those issues, as you continue to teach us, as you continue to reveal yourself to us as a church, as individuals, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would be able to be better witnesses and we'd be able to fulfill the great commission that Jesus didn't just give to, to, to us, the disciples, or those disciples, but all of us right now, your church. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.